Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny and rather warm day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Alex Turnbridge, Chief Executive of Stevenage Football Club, an iconic sporting venue with a range of versatile spaces suitable for meetings and events. Alex, hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for coming on the program today. Now, normally we'd get straight into the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID outbreak, let's start there. How has this affected your organization? So I think like all, all football clubs have been significantly affected. Um, we haven't played a home game since the 15th of February. We were due to play in uh, late February before because of poor weather. And then uh, all football ceased in the country in mid-March. So uh, for us, it's been exceptionally difficult, particularly from an income perspective. Um, mm. No match day incomes. Uh, season has also yet to restart. Hopefully that will be in the next month or so. But again, we're not sure what's going to happen with the... Uh, the members of the public being able to come in and watch fixtures, so we've not been able to do things like sell season tickets. So uh, it's had a significant effect on, on us as a business. And where do you see yourself uh, going uh, after you're able to properly reopen? Will things change? Yeah, I think things have already changed in the world of football quite significantly. Um, for us, social distancing is going to make a, a big effect on how we operate as a business. Uh, we're likely to see our um, capacity reduced significantly, probably down to a figure of 20%. Um, we're likely to also see um, a lot of our activities we do on a match day decreased or certainly stopped with social distancing. So we're going to have to find new ways to adapt and become um, economically viable, um, whether that be the streaming of our games to um, supporters um, and other innovative uses of technology. Well, we should move on to the subject of leadership, as this is the Leaders' Council podcast. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? I think uh, being a leader is um, is setting an example. It's it's carrying out um, behaviors and traits and actions that other people um, follow uh, and aspire to. And how would you describe your leadership style? Um. I'm, I'm the sort of guy that likes to get my hands dirty. Um, I'd like to think that in the, in the game of football, I've worked my way up from the bottom. Um, so I'm one that will always kind of get my hands dirty, lead by example. And if something needs doing, I'm always more than happy to do it myself as well. And where would you say your leadership style derived from? Did you have a particular role model or were you shaped more by circumstance? Yeah, I think um, I, I came into football. I, I actually came into Stevenage Football Club. Um, at the age of 21, um, the chairman gave me a lot of responsibility at the time. Um, I set the club's foundation up, which essentially started with a bag of balls, uh, working in local schools, and, and that grew to a registered charity of 15 employees, earning over six, £700,000 and working with 2,000 people a week. So in my early 20s, I, I was given that, um, that, I suppose, that piece of rope to go off and, and make a few mistakes, but learn. And, and my chairman, who's still my chairman today, is probably one of those individuals who I kind of looked up to and, and was guided by. And would you say that you try and pass that on to the next generation? Yes, I think um, certainly within the foundation of today, I've always been a always been a big advocate of the, the apprenticeship program. Within the foundation, we had multiple apprentices that would come through year on year. Um, 
and I particularly enjoyed working with those individuals, seeing them grow as humans, but also grow in terms of the world of business. Um, recently, we've got a partnership with um, USTB, which is a football university, based at Wembley Stadium and the Etihad Stadium, and we regularly have um, two, three, four instances for the whole year, um, and it's very enjoyable to, to work with them and pass on maybe some of the lessons you've learned really over the years and, and see them develop and, and create a, you know, a new new workforce for the future generations. Now, of course, one of the uh, most difficult aspects of leadership is dealing with conflict. Do you have a specific method for resolving conflict? I think um, conflict is usually it's important to have an understanding of what are the circumstances, why have certain things occurred, why are certain people reacting in a, in a certain manner or a certain way? And it's important to always uh, understand the facts maybe before you, you rush in and act too quickly. Um, then it comes back down to rules, policies, processes, and, and always having them beside you to kind of back you up and assist you. I think if you've got those mechanisms and structures in place, it makes it a lot easier to deal with conflict mm. when it arrives. Um, there's certainly a, a backboard for you to... Uh, to sit things against and, and lead upon. Now, what can the world of business learn from the world of sport? Um, I think the world of sport's quite a unique world, uh, particularly the world of football. Things happen very quickly. Um, you do everything you can do to ensure your business is successful. Um, but in some cases, that success gets taken out of your hands of control at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon uh, and placed into the hands of the players or the match officials um, and the events that take place on a field, which you you can always ensure players are suitably equipped for and prepared for, but ultimately those 90 minutes is, is out of your hands um, in terms of running a business. Uh, you need to react quickly and, and learn that sometimes what you were going to do, you need to change because of effects that may have taken place on the field of play. And what is the difference uh, between leading um, a, a sports organization and leading the business side of a sports organization? I think it's, it's important that you, you almost have two heads on. You have the head that's looking at sporting excellence and sporting performance, trying to ensure that those athletes perform at their best and highest potential uh, week in, week out, and you create successful environments to help them do that. Uh, but at the same time, it's important to not forget that it is a business um, just because it's a football club that plays football matches. Um, it's got many elements to it. That might be commercial, sponsorship agreements, conference and banqueting, HR, finance, all the things you would have in any normal business uh, you tend to have in a football club or a, a sports organisation. And they have to be run in line with rules and regulations and adhere to uh, everything that every, any other business would have. Um, and it's important that you conduct yourself in a professional manner and that your staff can, can understand the goals and objectives of the business and help carry them out. Um, often it's a, it's a head versus heart scenario. Uh, you Sometimes you have to lead by your heart, which is quite often the case from the performance perspective, but it's uh, certainly a head game in terms of the, uh, the business side of things. And if you could speak to yourself 20 years ago, what sort of advice would you give your young self? I think the biggest piece of advice I would give myself is, uh, and I mentioned about it earlier, is, is your policies and your procedures. Um, so quite often you need to invest time into ensuring you're aware of the backdrop, the rules, the regulations, uh, why a policy is there, 
what it actually means, play out scenarios in your head, uh, and to always ensure that those things are in place because actually I found them to be some of the biggest assets I've had in terms of leading an organization that if they're correct, um, they're certainly a huge, um, huge piece of armory to help you in certain situations. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Stevenage Football Club? For us, we're, we're in quite a unique situation. Um, we were, unfortunately, bottom of the Football League at the point in time when coronavirus hit. We had 10 games remaining. We had a game in hand over the team above us, and we had to play eight of the bottom half teams. Unfortunately, the league was curtailed and a points per game calculation was imposed on us. Um, as that stands, we're currently one point adrift um, and there's currently an appeal case around a um, disciplinary matter with the team buffs. That's looking to be concluded next week. So uh, we are probably in the, uh, the definition of what you would call limbo. We're not sure whether we will be in the Football League or the National League. Um, the difference to us financially is probably a million pounds. Um, and also a significant restructure of the club if we were to be relegated. So uh, we're certainly in for a very interesting 12 months. I suspect we will learn our fate next week, um, and there will certainly be um, a lot of adaptability in how we operate our business, um, particularly off the field of play, um, in terms of not only just adapting to uh, what may come upon us if we're relegated, but also um, the implications of, of COVID on the, on the mm. football industry. Well, Alex, I'd like to wish you and the club uh, the best of luck over the coming uh, weeks and months. And uh, I do hope that we can uh, speak again uh, in uh, slightly more normal times. But for now, Alex, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Alex Turnbridge, Chief Executive of Stevenage Football Club. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. 
And uh, the, the quote I always mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure... When you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict 
probably at a time it, maybe overly strict but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Grees in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, mm. out. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed professional 
uh, top quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and say, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It it's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've you got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a... a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Uh, um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really 
struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. It, it's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I, I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader, um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it 
that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at that, so many, many, and that's why we're successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word is team. team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and single mind and dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time. 
goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.